Today I want to talk to you about pressure. About pressure. Is there anybody here today that know what it's like to be under pressure? Amen. Under pressure. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 8. The Apostle Paul said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Under pressure. Father, may our minds be alert this morning. May our hearts be receptive to receive the life changing, life-transforming Word of God. For it's in the name of Jesus that we ask this. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Is there anybody here this morning who understands what it's like to be under pressure? <laughs> I thought I would get a few amens. I know that there's probably some of you here this morning who know what it's like to experience financial pressure. You know, when the mortgage is due or the rent is due and you don't have the money to pay the mortgage or you don't have the money to pay the rent and you've been told by the bank or you've even been told by or you've either been told by the landlord that if you don't have the money in the few days when it's due, then you're going to have to start looking for somewhere else to live. Financial pressure. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who understands the pressure of a deadline. Maybe on your job there's a project and you're leading the project and they've given you a deadline for that project and the deadline is closing in on you and you're nowhere near being finished with that project and you feel the pressure of that deadline or these young folks this morning in school or in college, they have a paper assigned, you know, one of those 20-page papers, and you have a deadline as to when that paper is due, and it's not long off, and you know that you're not even near finished with that paper, but the deadline is fastly approaching, and so you are beginning to feel the pressure of that. Even our, our kids today that are, are feeling what we refer to as peer pressure, Pressure from their friends to compromise their character, to compromise their integrity for the sake of being popular. And there's all different kinds of pressure that we could talk about here today, but I think all of us understands what it's like. We've all been in a situation before where we have been under pressure. I don't mind telling you, I feel greatly qualified today to preach this message. I really do. Because I've experienced a lot of circumstances. I've experienced a lot of situations in my life that were pressure-filled. And so I'm not just preaching to you today from someone else's experience. I'm, 
I'm also preaching to you today from my own experience and what God has taught me as a result of pressure in my life. We're right now at uh, game five of the NBA Finals. We've come through four games. And you hear the, the announcers a lot in these basketball games and other sporting events. You know, they say things like, well, who, who do you think they want to put the, the, the ball, whose hands do you, they want to put the ball in when the game is on the line? And it's always that person that seems to thrive under pressure. And so we hear names like LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Stephon Curry, you know, because they, they seem to thrive under pressure. And some people are just like that. They, they seem to thrive under pressure. If the game is on the line, they want the ball in their hands because they just seem to enjoy that pressure-filled moment. Then there are others who choke under pressure. They don't thrive under pressure. You know, it's like the field goal kicker. We don't remember the field goal kicker for all the kicks he made. We just remember them for the one that they missed under pressure. When the pressure was on. It's one thing to kick a field goal when the game is not on the line. It's another, you know, when your field goal is going to either win or lose the game for your team. So we've all been there. We've all faced that kind of pressure. And I think we need to stop trying to, when pressure does come, when we are under pressure, we need to stop trying to figure out, you know, where the pressure came from or why the pressure came to begin with. And we need to begin to learn maybe some lessons that God is trying to teach us as a result of pressure in our lives. And that's why I think that this passage of Scripture that we've looked at this morning is such a relevant passage from where so many are today. It's a passage that makes us aware that the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived, the apostle who wrote a third of the New Testament, he also experienced some pressure in his life. And he tells us two things about pressure. The first thing that he talks to us about that we'll talk about today is the intensity of his pressure. But then he talks to us about the purpose of pressure. But the first thing that I want us to look at together this morning is the intensity of the pressure that the Apostle Paul faced, and I believe probably you'll see the intensity of the pressure that sometimes we face in our lives. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, Paul leaves out some very important information here. He says to them, these people at Corinth, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed, but then he doesn't inform them. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles, but then he doesn't say anything about those troubles. He doesn't tell us what those troubles were, which leads us to believe that evidently the Corinthians knew what the Apostle Paul was talking about so that he didn't have to tell them, but sometimes leaves us in the dark. It sometimes leaves us guessing as to what the Apostle Paul could have been talking about. Because we know that the Apostle Paul faced a lot of difficult circumstances in his life. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said this. He said, I have despaired of life time after time. In other words, he said, my life has been on the line more than once. And he goes on through that chapter and talks about all of the trouble, all of the danger 
that he has gone through in his life to get the gospel to the Gentiles, which was the calling that God had placed upon his life. But he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but he does describe it for us. He says it this way. He said, we were under great pressure. We were under great pressure. Notice, he doesn't just say we were under pressure. He said we were under great pressure. And then notice what he said, far beyond our ability to endure. Now, I know that you, like I, have had people tell you that God will not allow more to come upon you than you can bear or that you can endure. But listen to me, that's a lie. That is not what the Word of God tells us. Now, the Word of God does say that God will not allow us to be tempted above that that we're able to endure. But with every temptation, He will provide a way of escape. But I think this passage of Scripture is proof that God will sometimes allow things in your life that are more than you are able to endure in and of yourself. I mean, when you look at this, when He said we were under great pressure... Far beyond our ability to endure, that phrase great pressure comes from a Greek word that means to be burdened excessively. It's actually the picture of a beast of burden like a donkey and someone has placed more weight on that donkey than that donkey can bear or that donkey can endure. I've got a picture here maybe that'll help you understand that a little bit more. Has anybody ever felt like this before? That there was just so much on you, so much pressing against you, and it was more than you could endure, and you collapsed beneath that pressure. You collapsed beneath that burden. You collapsed beneath the weight of it. And Paul said, that's exactly where I was. I was facing great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure it. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. In other words, Paul is saying, man, I thought this was it. I I thought we were done for it. Matter of fact, he goes on in verse 9, and he talks about how that he had already passed the sentence of death over his life. In other words, what Paul is doing here really... Is he doing, he's doing what we tend to do sometimes. He's losing perspective. He's losing perspective. Now, we'll see here in just a moment that he gets that perspective back. But at this moment, he's lost perspective because he's faced death time and time and time again. But evidently, this situation is different from any he's ever faced because he said we despaired of life Itself. Now that word despaired comes from a Greek word and it literally means, get this, it means no exit. In other words, Paul was saying that we were in a situation and I knew there was no way out of this situation. We were going to die. And we had already resolved that. We had already passed the sentence of death over our lives because when I looked to my right, there was no exit. When I looked to my left, there was no exit. When I looked forward, there was no exit. When I looked behind me, there was no exit. There was no way out of this situation. Has anybody ever been in a situation like that before in your life? 
maybe financially or relationally or occupationally or physically or, or something of that nature. You were in a pressure-filled situation and it looked like there was absolutely no way out. You look to your right, no exit. You look to your left, no exit. You look ahead of you, no exit. No way out, no matter which way you look. And so Paul tries to give us an understanding of the intensity of the pressure that he is under here. But he, only, he doesn't just talk to us about the intensity of the pressure. He also talks to us about the purpose of the pressure. And listen to what he says about the purpose of the pressure. Because this is where I believe God wants to really speak to somebody here this morning. Maybe you're under some intense pressure today. Maybe you've collapsed beneath the load that God has allowed in your life. Maybe you felt like that donkey that there was more on you than you could endure. Why does God allow us to get into those kinds of situations? Well, here's what Paul said. He said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Hallelujah. You see... Sometimes God will allow you to get into a situation where it seems like there's no exit, where it seems like there's no way out to teach us to understand that we don't need to just rely on ourselves. We need God to help us with the pressure that we face in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, this happened so that, you see, God has a purpose for your pressure today. God has a purpose for allowing you to go through whatever it is that you're going through today. God has a purpose for allowing you to be backed up against the wall and it seems like there's no way out. He's trying to teach you not to rely on yourself, but to rely on God. And notice Paul said, we were as good as dead, but he said, all of a sudden I got my perspective back and I realized, hey, this is a God who even raises the dead. And you know he had to be speaking from his experience in Lystra when they took him outside the city and they took rocks and they stoned him and most scholars believe that they stoned him until there was no life left in his body and that that was when he got his revelation of the third heaven and the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him and God raised him back to life again. And so notice what he says. He said, I got my perspective back. I didn't think there was no way out, but then I remembered that I served of a God who can make a way when it seems like there's no way. Amen. God can open a door when it seems like there's not a door to open. He can open a door that no man can shut and he can shut a door that no man can open. Paul said, God is teaching me here to completely rely and to trust in him. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, he has delivered us. Notice how he gets his perspective back now. He says, he has delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us again. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Oh, how many of you know that we serve a God who has, who is, and who will? Amen. He has been faithful to us in the past. He's going to be faithful to us in the present, and he's going to continue to be faithful to us in the future. Is there anybody in this room here today that's ever been in one of those situations where you felt like there was no escape, there was no exit, and then God made a way where it seemed like there was no way? Has anybody ever been brought out of a situation by God like that? 
Well, let me just remind you here this morning that that same God who delivered you then is the same God who can deliver you now whatever it is that you're going through. And he's the same God that will continue to deliver you no matter what situation or circumstance you may be in. Somebody let's give God praise today. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. Hallelujah. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. And Paul said, my whole perspective changed. L- l- listen, listen to what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You've got King Jehoshaphat, and you have three enemy nations that have formed an alliance to come against Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel. And when Jehoshaphat hears about it, do you know what the first thing is that Jehoshaphat does? He prays. And I want you to hear the prayer that Jehoshaphat prays when three enemy nations have formed an alliance. They are outnumbered three to one. And this army is coming against them. This army is pressing in on them. And he is feeling the pressure of this. But notice what happens. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, look at this prayer. O Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Somebody needs to be reminded today of just how great and powerful and mighty your God is. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. The whole assembly's listening to his prayer. And so he says, I'm going to remind them of just how great this God is. That there's nothing for us to be afraid of. There's nothing for us to fear. And then he doesn't just say, are you not? But then notice what he says. He says, did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? So he says, are you not? He reminds himself of who God is in the present. He said, did you not? He reminds himself of what God has done in the past. And he goes on and he says, this sanctuary that you gave us, he said, they lived in it. This land that you gave us, they lived in it and in it have built you a sanctuary. Sanctuary for your name, saying that if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we will cry to you in distress, and you will hear and save. In other words, God, you said when we got into this land and when we built this sanctuary, that if we face a situation like this, you said that if we'll just go to your house and cry out to you, that you will hear us and you will save us. So he said, see now, he said, the people of Amnon, the people of Moab, the people of Mount Seir, he said, they have formed this alliance against us and they are invading us. And he said, when we were coming out of Egypt, you wouldn't allow us to invade them because of who they were. But now they're invading us, even though we spared them when we came out of Egypt. He said, and they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you have given us to inherit oh our God now look at this will you not execute judgment upon them for we are powerless you see he understands that without God they're not going to win this battle he understands that without God they're not going to make it he understands that in and of themselves it's not enough he understands that it's not by might and it's not by power but it's by your spirit says the Lord of hosts and he said oh God will you not execute 
execute judgment upon them. For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. But notice what he says. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, that's something good to do. When you don't know what to do, focus your eyes on him. Remind yourself of who he is. Remind yourself of what he's done. Remind yourself of what he can still do. Somebody give God a good praise in this house today. Hallelujah. Reminds me of David. You know, when David went down to fight Goliath and Saul looked at him and basically said to him, boy, you're not old enough to handle this kind of pressure. And what did David say to him? He said, listen, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the same God who delivered me from the mouth of the lion is the same God who is going to deliver me today and the nation of Israel from this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, David looks at King Saul and says, listen, boy, you just got to understand, this ain't my first rodeo. And that's what the devil needs to know. The next time he thinks he's got us backed into a situation and we feel like there's no exit, there's no way out, we need to remind him this is not the first time I've been in a situation like this. This is not the first time I've been backed up into a corner like this. Amen? Oh, somebody help me preach this morning. This is not my first rodeo, and God has delivered me. God will deliver me, and God will continue to deliver me, no matter what my circumstances or situation. Oh, let's give God some praise today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Thank you, God. You are our God. You make a way where there is no way. Hallelujah. David, David, Paul, Paul got proper perspective and he said, you know what? I just found out, you know, maybe I will die in this situation, but that's okay. God can raise the dead. He can do that. Amen. But then notice what Paul said. He said that he has delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we will continue to deliver us. Or he will continue to deliver us. And then notice what he says in verse 11. As you help by your prayers. So you see, here's what pressure teaches us. Here's the purpose of pressure. It teaches us, one, to rely on God and not ourselves. And then two, it teaches us to rely on others and not just ourselves. When we first moved to Kansas in 1992 to be state youth director, we were moving into our home there, a little duplex that we had rented. My salary going into Kansas was $750 a month. My rent was $650 a month. You do the math. But we were moving into the house, and I had this file cabinet, and it was full of stuff. And I didn't want to have to take the file cabinet down into the basement, drawer by drawer. So I shut the drawers, locked them up, put it on a little dolly hand truck. And I remember this. I got right to the edge of the stairs going straight down. And Jamie looked at me and she said, do you need some help with that? 
Nope. I got this. Both my boys that you saw that are now 30 and 27 were a lot younger then. Matter of fact, the youngest one making all the old jokes. He was about three years old at the time. Maybe even two years old. And they're standing there at the top of the stairs watching Daddy. Well, they didn't watch Daddy long. I dropped that thing on the first step and it drugged me the rest of the way. Now, you would think I'd have sense enough to let it go, but no. I held on all the way to the bottom. And I don't know how it happened. I mean, it was something like out of a movie. I wish we would have had a video going because we could have won $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Video. I'm convinced of that. But I get down to the bottom of the stairs, and, and it's, it's a block wall right there. And so the file cabinet hits the wall, stops. I do a flip over the top of the file cabinet and don't ask me how it happened but once I'm on the other side of the file cabinet looking up then the file cabinet comes down on top of me of course she's standing up at the top of the stairs she doesn't say it and it's a good thing she didn't but she reminds I can tell she's thinking in her mind I ask if you needed some help. My little one, Caleb, who is two, he's going, do it again, Daddy. Do it again. <laughs> but I was taught a valuable lesson that day. Stop just relying on yourself. You've heard me say it before. I, I still learn this lesson sometimes when I go to the grocery store. You guys know, I don't need a buggy. I can handle everything. I can put it all right here in my hands, just getting a few things. And then before you know it, you're so loaded down, you're dropping stuff, you know, trying to get to the register, stopping stuff. But notice, this is what he's talking about here. He said, we've got to get to that place to where we understand that we stop relying just on ourselves. Not that we don't do anything, but that we stop trying to do it all. It's just like moving this pulpit. I can move this pulpit by myself. But it's going to wear me out. It's going to weary me. It could hurt me trying to do it. Or I could get a couple of other guys to come up here and help me. And we can do it a whole lot quicker and a whole lot easier if we do things together. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, not only do we need the help of God who can raise from the dead. But he looked at those people. He said, we also need you to pray for us. And listen to me, Summerton Church of God. We need each other. Because we have members of our family every week who are going through really difficult times. People who are in situations that feel like there's no way out. And what they need is they need the help of God, but they also need other members of the family who will lift up and hold up their arms in prayer and pray for them and intercede for them and be for them what they cannot in that moment be for themselves. Amen. I think we all know what it's like to experience the kind of pressure that the Apostle Paul talks about when he said we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we distressed of life itself all of us know what it's like to have our back against the wall and feel like there's no escape that there's no exit that there's no way out but God has a way of making a way where it seems like there is no way and the purpose of pressure in our lives is to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. 
and also to rely on the prayers, the help, and the encouragement of others. And so if you're under great pressure today, I want to say a prayer for you. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for whatever it is that we may be going through in our lives. Whatever trial, whatever difficulty, however great the pressure is, all we have to do is just lean into your grace, your grace that gives us that ability, that empowerment to do what we could never do in and of ourselves. And Father, we thank you for that help today and we call upon you. And then we also call upon the help of others during this time of pressure in our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summerton Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community, and we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045. We would love to have you and your family as our guest.